Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Expert Dispatch. Today we ha have a special guest. It's the first Dutch person, but uh, it's not that we run out of uh, expats. There are plenty to come, don't worry about it. It's just this person is uh, an expat uh, himself, in a way, because uh, he spent some time in other countries and uh, he spends um, time here in uh, Rotterdam, in the Netherlands, talking to expats. So let's welcome Yuri. Thank you guys for having me. <laughs> oh, hello Yuri. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good to be here. Excited to be heard. Yeah. I feel honored. <laughs> so thank you internet for trying to listen to my story. <laughs> I hope you will learn something from it. But super, super exciting to have you on listen to your story. So without further ado, I'll Don't just... say it again. <laughs> I like this phrase. <laughs> I just want to ask you to tell a little bit about yourself, just your background, whatever you feel like sharing. Well, yes, first of all, my name is Yuri. I always explain myself who I am is like a cosmopolitan. Yeah. It's just a, you can ask me if I'm gonna settle and that's it's not like when I'm gonna settle <laughs> because I feel like a lifelong expert and I live here now in Rotterdam for almost more than 10 years but I always have the feeling this is just like a station and <laughs> there will be a big chance that I will leave Rotterdam again for some adventures or mm -hmm. anything because yeah that's also who I am I have Indonesian grandparents my grandfather was in the Royal, Royal Dutch Indian Army and he was uh, basically a world traveler himself mm. and I got a lot of uh, lessons from him. He made all those like famous ships and he gave it to his grandkids when he died. <laughs> I think he is one of the biggest reasons that I feel like who I am today. Like the world traveler. I have always the feeling, the urge to experience destinations to go anywhere. Like to all places, like the mm -hmm. most fun places, but also the most harsh places. I think you know me a little bit and you know about my long traveling. So. And your crazy stories. <laughs> yeah, my crazy stories, yes. That's, yeah, how I explain myself who I am. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you were born uh, in the Netherlands, you grew up in the Netherlands, but you said like, you live only 10 years in Rotterdam before yeah. that? A little bit more to the south, so right on the border of South Holland and Zealand. Mm -hmm. It's like the, the South Holland Islands, you call it in Dutch. Mm -hmm. People think it's Zealand, but whenever I was there and people said it, I became angry. Like every local over there where I came from, it's the place called Goeree Overflakke. <laughs> For a lot of time I'm not living there anymore and I basically have the same idea about that place. It's, it looks like Zealand, more or less. But why do you say Zealand if it's Zeeland in... Uh... Zeeland, yeah, <laughs> Zeeland. Yeah, maybe I should stick with the Dutch pronunciation. <laughs> yeah. Finally the moment came, I corrected, corrected the, the Dutch, Dutch person. Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for that. At least yeah, you dare to 
correct people <laughs> on a good way so um, i appreciate it <laughs> yeah and i mean also we share some common history with yuri as we played in the beginning of the year in the one football team which i kind of started randomly just with friends but then you people started joining and yuri joined not at the beginning but since he started playing for us it was a pleasure because he was always playing to all the best of his abilities. I think after Yuri joined, our performance has increased <laughs> considerably. Yeah, yeah, he was running just like all over the place. That's crazy how passionate. Yeah, uh, sports is, besides traveling, sports is really a big part of me, yes. I, I play football my whole life now, but I like to be active and mm -hmm. I like to play every kind of sports. And I don't know, for some reason, I'm always good at anything if it concerns like physical prestige mm -hmm. so that's that's one of my stories <laughs> to start with maybe mm -hmm. that i run the marathon of rotterdam i was a little bit too crazy to do it without any practicing because when the id started to do it with a colleague i saw like oh to uh, to join it you need to pay 75 euros I'm not gonna pay 75 euros just to fuck myself up. <laughs> so the, the idea was out of my mind for months. And then one week before it started, the marathon, the colleague uh, said to me, oh, they sell like secondhand starting tickets for like 10 euros. I was like, well, I've got a basic fitness and I still have one week to practice, so I think I will manage. Yeah, let's <laughs> fucking do it, I thought. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me for my language. <laughs> I practiced like one time, I run 20Ks and afterwards the whole week I experienced like my feet were hurting because the shoes I was practicing on, they, they, they were a little bit old. <laughs> so yeah, I started the marathon. Well, I was not secure, secure. Normally, I was like, "All right, I'm gonna do this," but no, this was not my feeling at all. But, uh, <laughs> did you sleep well before? <laughs> <laughs> that was another thing. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite producers, James Holden, he had a concert in Amsterdam. And there was no way that I was missing that concert. So I went on Saturday after uh, Saturday evening. I went there, smoked a little bit of a joint, <laughs> did did two beers, <laughs> and then I think I was back in Rotterdam and in my bed at half past two or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it was still not too late mm -hmm. for my standards. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I slept like I slept good for my feeling. But, mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I just woke up and I really woke up with with still the pain in my feet and was like, I'm not going to do it, but I've got a starting ticket, so I'm going to try it. <laughs> and after six Ks, the pain went away and I was like, oh, I'm going to make it. Mm -hmm. But then at 15 Ks, I was thinking, oh, this is my first pain again in my knees. I don't think I'm going to make it. <laughs> and basically from there on off, I started to make goals and that helped me to actually run out the marathon mm -hmm. so until till 34ks i was like running 10ks per hour and it was still decent but afterwards i was working slowly slowly slow and then at 40ks i was really scared that i didn't make it again so from there on, i was like basically you cannot call it walking it was like I don't know, crawling almost <laughs> to, to the finish line. <laughs> but I think you, you made it just within the time limit or like... Yeah, five hours and 17 minutes. So 
It was like 13 minutes on time, otherwise I wouldn't have a medal. Uh, it would be all for nothing. Yeah, that's that's uh, such an accomplishment, uh, considering mm. no preparation, I mean only yeah. one training. Uh, will, you, will you run in the same shitty shoes? No, 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 <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> no, that would be even more crazy. <laughs> But yeah, I would not suggest it to anybody to do it my way. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was hard, but I recovered good. Actually, I didn't have pain at all. Like they saw at the finish line how uh, how hard time I had. So they brought me to a massage tent and I think that helped me like with recovery. Mm -hmm. Like I, I didn't have pain at all. The only thing I couldn't do was running, like playing football again. Mm -hmm. Like I could play, but I couldn't run. My knees were locked. Mm -hmm. So I missed like two or three games, but besides that, that was it actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that shows how dedicated you are to the thing you decide to do, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, tell us about your experiences in terms of like traveling when you decide uh, to go somewhere and how do you approach this type of uh, my, situation? Uh, my first experience with that was when I was 20. Uh, I quit my first study engineering and then I had half year to work and after that half year my girlfriend back then she was going on an internship in South Africa in Cape Town and I was like now I've got the time I've got the money so I will join you it was my first trip also outside of Europe it was like something new for me all the people in my surroundings they were even more scared than me they were like oh isn't it dangerous in South Africa and there's a lot of high rate yeah. of crime and yeah that's that, that scared me a little bit but i'm really glad that i chose just to go because i learned so many things on expat's life and the first thing i learned was that people who speak down on you before you make the trip they are actually not experienced at all mm -hmm. they they just talk about from the movies or something like you know like there was a high crime rate and i needed to watch out like yeah, I, that careful. was the first time i lived in a house with the iron bars in front of all these houses but all the locals i met there had to say well you'll do all right if you just stick with some basic rules you know don't go out as a tourist after 11 in certain areas mm -hmm. like the city center was safe for everybody mm -hmm. well <laughs> now i say that i need to think about a story that i got almost robbed three times by the same guy <laughs> in the city center <laughs> that was a guy who was like a few years younger than me back then you I, i think he was like 15 or so and he asked me for my money and then he showed behind his sleeve like a kitchen knife and At first I was like, all right, are you serious? But immediately I was like, all right, he is serious, you know, <laughs> even though it doesn't look serious at all. <laughs> but that, that, was, that was also for me the moment to decide not to give in and just to stay alert. Like we were walking to our car and he walked with us while he was saying that, give us your money, while he was showing it to me, his knife. And I was walking there with my girlfriend, so... Yeah, the two things I did was my body in between the guy and my girlfriend and then walk and then like the moment he reached out or the moment he does something I don't expect, then I will hit him or then I will go onto his body that he, he won't have the space to actually mm -hmm. use the knife, you know, mm -hmm. because it was all, it was a little bit risk uh, analysis. It was mm -hmm. like, 
All right, he's younger than me. I think I can physically handle him. He doesn't reach his weapon yet, and the weapon itself was not super dangerous. So I think I made the right decision. Uh, and I was there for a half year, and in that half year, I had this moment three times on the same place the with the same, same guy. guy. <laughs> <laughs> and each But I know myself in other situations, I would probably have give, given my money. Did you, so. did you become friends after? <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. No, <laughs> I, I, I took pity on him also. Like, I know why he is in this situation, but I cannot do anything about it, even though if I give my money, you know, the next day he will be there again. And mm -hmm. But that's all the reasons why I think you should go on Expert Life to learn about these things. And I think you still are pretty safe as a tourist, even though it doesn't feel like that sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just stick to the basic rules, don't do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like it, it, it was, it was crazy because in the moment I was there, I think it was in the first month even that I was there, it was like an English newlywed couple, uh, the girl was murder murdered, uh, in the end it was all a scheme by the groom because there was like a life insurance <laughs> so from england he had contact with some guy or somebody from the townships and the township are the poor areas and that are the places you don't go uh -huh. so i didn't uh, but they did at 11 o'clock in the evening but <laughs> yeah in the end it was all a fucking scheme by the group <laughs> so she was not murdered She was. Ah, it was part But of the scheme. In the, yeah, in the end, it turned out that it was a scheme. It was not that they were like the, the ignorant tourists. No, uh -huh. the guy wasn't ignorant at all. She was in the, in the end. So he basically killed her to get the money? Yeah, from the, the life insurance money. So yeah, that kind of stories made you think twice. <laughs> yeah, before it gets married. But still, you're already inside the country. You already spoke to locals. You already got to know what to do and not. So yeah, for me, it was definitely an interesting story, which gave me the fear. But in the end, we yeah. Yeah, but overall, apart from this very fascinating stories, what's your highlights of your half a year in South Africa? How long have you been there? The whole city, yeah. Where did you go? To Cape Town, to Cape yeah, Town. to Cape Town. And I think up until now, wherever I was in the world, that was is one of the most Western cities in Africa, I think, but maybe in the whole non-western world yeah. because they, they just have everything you could water sport very good i learned how to wave surf over there the weather is so nice the people are nice the food is nice the animals are nice <laughs> but yeah i was also a little bit biased of course because it was my first trip outside of europe it was a big change because my holidays when i was with my parents they were with the motorbike mm -hmm. <laughs> so my mom was driving like a sidecar motor and my dad was harley davidson and with my three brothers and me we all fitted we went to belgium or to france or to germany because with that back of a family you cannot fly you know it's just too expensive and yeah the the adventure side of me I know from who I have it, and that's definitely for my family. <laughs> so it, it was for me a very big difference from going to normally to Germany or stuff to 
Cape Town. Definitely more exciting than going yeah, to Yeah, definitely. And yeah, the biggest lessons I learned from that trip is that people back here in the Netherlands, they really talk about those places from yeah. presumptions. I really learned to change the person who I was. Mm-hmm. Because I became so open to different kind of stuff. You need to know where I come from. It's very conservative. Just from a little village and people are really from the church and stuff. But also they're pretty right-minded people in those kind of places, more or less. Right-minded, you mean politically? Yes, but that's also a little bit presumption. Mm -hmm. But I know what the biggest party is there, and it's the SGP, and that is... It's like a right-wing party. Right, 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 yeah. So, when I was 18, I voted for Geert Wilders. <laughs> <laughs> and people who, who know me, they cannot believe that I did. <laughs> But that's a very good thing to see how I changed in that trip. Because mm-hmm. yeah. afterwards, I just... I was very much open to partying, I was open to drugs, I was open to go to a gay bars. Because I know that some of my friends asked me to, to, to join them to the gay club. Uh, I know the first times I said no. And that's because I was still a little bit homophobic back then, because I come from an environment where a lot of people are homophobic. So to just leave the place where I grew up, it, Only that was good for my personal development, I guess. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I tried. Uh, it was the best club there is over there. It was also one of the only clubs that was open till like 10 in the morning. But the music was super good. Was you, it in South Africa or yeah, here in Cape Town? Oh, it called the Bronx. So <laughs> for anybody who will go there, yeah, we'll check it out. Yeah, definitely. And as a homophobic person, the only thing you have to do is dance <laughs> because i had one conversation with a gay guy and he asked me you're not gay right i said no oh yeah i already thought so because i saw you dancing <laughs> so no i didn't have ex- bad experience with it with people touching me or trying to flirt with me even maybe they flirt with me but that that i didn't saw it or something like that but no i i had only good vibes over there and i definitely recommend all the homophobic people who just listen to my story now just to try it yeah cool and after this time in south africa you came back to the netherlands right so What you been up to after that and what was your next journey? Well, it's basically my lifelong journey from there on. <laughs> and that's a mix between working, but also still doing my studies. Because when I started my studies, I still had the, the government system where you basically get money if you're going to study. But you need to finish your studies within 10 years to get it as a gift, that money. So finishing my studies was always in my back head mm-hmm. after that trip. I tried multiple studies and then I finally after traveling, working and studying, I am now at my place well, at, at study what's really for me and it's landscape and environment management. And yeah, for next year I finally got a going to end it or to finish it. And from there I finally can, you know, look further with my life. The only thing I do know is that I still want to do a world trip from Alaska to Antarctica. Wow. So you mean like uh, all Americas? uh... Yeah, because I'm really interested in that part from all the continents 
I think South America is one of the most interesting. Are you, are you, do you want to travel by bike or...? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mo most of the parts. Maybe even walking, you know. I don't care, but the thing is, I just don't want to rush it. And what I learned is the bikepacking tours I did, you just experience way more. Like You get in touch with people way faster. You have more sense for the environment where you are traveling through. Because mm -hmm. now we're coming to a cliche. It's not about the end destination, it's about the journey. <laughs> But that cliche suits really if you go by bike, then it is really about the journey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In the end, you're so happy to reach a destination. <laughs> of course, I really like that kind of traveling. For me, can that's the traveling. Can you relate, Sergey? Yeah, absolutely. I'm also a bike lover. Unfortunately, I haven't been to so many bikepacking trips. I've been only uh, like for a few days bikepacking in northern Russia, in Karelia. But that was a bit of cheating because our, our bags were carried on the car. But I, oh. I did uh, bikepacking here, actually in Belgium, for like three or four days. But it was a very short one. So one day I want to also travel, uh, maybe for a few weeks. So just some something that can really take you out of your comfort zone. So mm -hmm. yeah, that, that's nice. That that's one of the reasons why I like you. I think always people who are a little bit the same like me, so they will be nice, you know. <laughs> And by the way, we should we should do some bike trips here. I mean, yeah, as far as mm -hmm. uh, there are places to go. Well, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think now we're on it. <laughs> cool. Uh, I really want to go to the beach boss. It's not far, but where is it? No, the beach boss is maybe not a good thing to, <laughs> to go by bike. <laughs> Now it's a nature area, so oh, you have mm -hmm. Rotterdam, Dordrecht, and then it's basically the border of North Brabant and South oh, yeah. Holland. Like this national park or something. I actually cycled to Dordrecht uh, two days mm. ago. Yeah, I don't know, quite a mediocre city. So sorry for all the listeners from Dordrecht. I'm sure there are plenty of them. Um, Apparently it's one of the oldest yeah, Dutch, Dutch cities. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, it makes sense because, I mean, a few centuries ago, Rotterdam was like a, a very small place in terms of just the land was not there because it was, how you say it? Uh, Water. Uh, re, re, yeah. It's artificially created. Yeah, but um, when you regain land... In a, reclaim. Reclaim. In a land, dating, land reclamation. Yeah. Reclamation. Yeah of the land so yeah it's actually just side note also like in terms of biking and everything there was a bike race we already mentioned it on our one of our episodes that was going through the imaginary line of a potential sea coast of the netherlands should the water levels rise as they're doing right now so yeah netherlands are in danger and not only them because climate change is there yeah but, but they're even more in now I don't know the specifics of that, but what I do experience in the Netherlands for the last 10 years is that they really uh, they are focusing on adaptive measurements mm -hmm. against climate change. And it's all, all fun and, and stuff, but <laughs> maybe our government should look to mitigating uh, measurements because I think that is the first thing to do. It's more important to do that first and then think about adaptive, but I don't know, it just feels like the government is the same as a human person, they just want to go for the most cheapest solutions and that's to build a wider dike or something. It's, it's Yeah, and I mean, just in general, not only the government, but it's like the people. Before coming here, I thought that Netherlands, like everyone, just using their bikes 
everyone is using their bikes and the cars are just becoming a thing of the past. But I just uh, realized that actually almost everyone, adults, own their cars and everyone uses them here. Yeah, well, they have also bikes. So sometimes yeah. they can choose to yeah. commute by bike if the weather is nice. But but still, it's a car-dependent country. And maybe the image is... Very, it's, it, it also has, has to do with mentality. Because I have some friends who really hate biking for some reason. Mm-hmm. And the bike for me is it's the best transportation. It's yeah. it's just the best. You can do whatever you want. You can go wherever you want. You can be as drunk <laughs> as you want. You still can go from A to B. <laughs> and the, the the Netherlands is flat and the distances are not so so far. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I think you mentioned to us your other trips to other countries, so do you want to talk about them? Yeah, definitely. I have two other major expat trips to say it like that. Or trips where I felt like an expat instead of a tourist. This was in 2016. It was in Indonesia. I had the chance to do some development work. Mm-hmm. I hate that term. <laughs> because it sounds a little bit degenerating. In the end, it is a true term actually. Because... Students then go to the Indonesia with the feeling of doing some important work for the local society over there. I wanted to experience where my grandmother and father were coming from. And I still had to do some for my school, like free assignments, and I could do whatever I want for that. And of course, some personal development. Mm -hmm. And that is, I guess, where the term development work hits. It's basically your for your own development. We need to watch out for as Western people to be arrogant to think that we can change the way they live over there or the way they work over there. And that's what I learned. Fall into the same mistakes as we Western people do. Like of course we have different mistakes than them. It's it's just like when I was there the whole town, like I was with the host family, I did some social and physical projects. Some of them I was leading and the others I just joined them. And what I experienced when I came back to the village after the students were away, I came there with my bonnet, she really wanted to see where I was. It was a totally different environment, vibe. It was, it was like a very closed, silent, village. Mm-hmm. Well, when there were students, like there were like a few from the Netherlands, a few from South Korea, a few from Japan, and then some other countries. So yeah, for them, it was very nice to have us. Like for them, it's like a break into their lives. Like there are some other people coming to the village, you know, it's very, very special. So I felt that, that it was special for them. Like, they're very interested in you and they want to speak to you, they want to touch you, they want to look at you, they want to do everything with yeah, you. It's probably their first encounter of uh, foreigners in their yeah. lives yeah. or something. So. Yeah, I think that's a good way of explaining it or to reason it. Yeah. But yeah, I had some stressful moments over there. Like at some point, there were like not too much projects. We basically did nothing over there. They were like the Indonesian students, they had to lead it a little Mm -hmm. bit. So they were discussing with the village some new project and there was one and they wanted to have like an entrance 
for the village. Like mm-hmm. it was like a concrete, massive gate in shape of one concrete column. So because I study landscape environment management and it was like a civil engineer from South Korea, we both were the leaders of the project. And they already started the project without us. And then we came the next day and we saw where they dug the hole for uh, the column. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we were looking to each other <laughs> and we said just no to each other. No, this is not going to happen. You know, the, the hole for the concrete column was just like half a meter of yeah. the fucking cliff. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a lot of rainy, like real rainy nights, that, uh, even worse than what I experienced here. So we already knew without doing the math that it is not gonna work out. <laughs> so that evening we had like a very important meeting and that meeting I also experienced like for them it's very new, you know, we were in a house. Some of the important people from the town, with the civil engineer, with me, with the ladies of those important people, a lot of food. It felt like a feast, you know? <laughs> and they were talking, discussing in Indonesian, so I couldn't hear anything of it. <laughs> I was just sitting there for Dutch blood, I guess. Like, oh, there's this guy in the house. <laughs> no, but they were discussing, and the next day there would be a solution for our problem. And the solution was to relocate it. And the relocation, it was basically the same fucking problem. (laughs) Only on another spot. (laughs) And we basically said, no, no, no. And then they said, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) At one point, we we really became mad. Like, you cannot do that to us, you know? Like, the town, they were expecting the fucking concrete column because it says something to do with pride to another village, if you have a village with a concrete column, like an entrance, you are of a bigger importance in a region than Mm. a village who doesn't have that. Mm. So for them it was, yeah, it will come there. And the students, they were like, they didn't really know what to think, but the civil engineer and me were like, no, we're not going to do that. We don't, there was like a house 30 meters down to it. And then in that night, after we had that meeting, it rained so hard that, yeah, you really saw that from the half a meter that was between the hole and the cliff, it was half of it after that night. So we didn't have to use words to try to persuade and they just could see, but they were so stubborn. They were all about the prideness, mm-hmm. you know? So in the end, after a lot of stressful moments and talks, there was a guy from the village who suddenly owned the land across the street. Oh yeah, we can do it there. And we're like, oh fuck man. <laughs> we could decide this like yesterday without so many stressful moments. Mm-hmm. So that was for me a very learning moment that we Western people or we students, even though you are from Asian, we are not here to change stuff for you. Because in the end, yeah, it's also something human, I think. I think we, we can correct each other, we can give each other lessons, but in the end, it's yourself who needs to change. Yeah, it's their, their village, their yeah. land, so it's up to them to yeah. decide in them. I think it's a very <coughs> important understanding because we need to take into account all the differences of cultures. 
and people around yeah, the world. Definitely. Maybe you want to dive into your Peruvian adventures. Peruvian, um, yeah, that, that was my latest adventure. When was it? In 2019. It was now. It was five months of doing an internship and then one month of hiking to the Andes. That was my holiday. Mm-hmm. Also, very learningful moments over there. Very, very much. Like I, I was all, always keen to experience the jungle and to go there for a day. I really want to experience. So doing an internship over there, it suited, you know. And it was in Iquitos, Peru. And Iquitos, it's one of the most special cities I ever been. It's crazy. And you either hate it or you either love it. It's like super busy. Everybody lives on the street. The city itself is quite green, even though the parks are gray, it's full of concrete. Mm-hmm. That's a thing I couldn't understand. <laughs> really, it's crazy. Like every square, every park, they have trees, but no grass or anything. It's all concrete. But the lifestyle, it's, yeah, the festivities, all my experiences, what I experienced there. I, I only have crazy stories, but <laughs> one of them you know already, and I will definitely tell them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's um, quite a long story as well, so I will I mean, b- b- buckle story. up, guys. Uh, it's going to be <laughs> the craziest story of your life. I, I, I do think it is. It's uh, definitely the most crazy story of my life. <laughs> so you have there also a lot of expats over there. Uh, I worked for a company who was building an eco-lodge and a lot of volunteers from all over the world helped the woman who owned that place and I was doing an internship for that. So I was situated in a hostel in the city instead of in the eco-lodge because I needed some internet for my internship. I did a communication plan by the way. Mm-hmm. But being in the hostel I met a lot of people and one of those people she was from a community. And that's what I want to say with, you have a lot of expats over there, you have a lot of hippies, to say it like that. I also don't like that word very much. It's a lot of time misuse here in the Netherlands. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, they live sustainable. So you can live there for free, but you have to work for your living. So you have to build your house, you have to build your, your food. And the leader, an English guy of in the 50s or 60s, he, it was his birthday. Mm-hmm. It should happen for three days. He rented like a system, a sound system. And there were like side trends going on the whole first evening because mm-hmm. I went there, of course, <laughs> with some people of the city. And the first morning, hell broke loose to say it like that. And I tried to, to keep it short. <laughs> so in that first morning, it was like seven o'clock. I went there on Friday evening or Saturday morning and I just took a second bit of LSD. So the situation was crazy as well. My own si- personal situation. And I was inside of, of the lodge with some people and there were like 20 people outside. And for a half an hour, like, some people came in, like very stressful, speaking Spanish very fast, and I can understand Spanish. I learned it over there a little bit, but I, I didn't understand them. But the whole body language, I knew there was something going on. Mm-hmm. So the third time that somebody came in, because with the first two times, we all like, there are like 20 people outside, we're like with five inside, what can we do? Mm-hmm. But with the third time, I was like, all right, now I'm going to check whatever I can do. So I stood up 
I looked out of the window and I saw their doll group with their backs to me and I was looking over the group. I looked to a girl and yeah, it was just amazing what I saw. She was standing there, one by herself against like 20 people with a machete in the one hand and an axe in the other hand and her face was like a demon face. I, I never ever saw or will see such a face. It was like there was nobody in that body. There was only like Satan or something. There was like such emotionless face. I will never forget that. So the first thing I did was not thinking. I didn't think for the whole upcoming hour. I was just doing stuff. I reacted like I was jumping outside, put myself with the group to see, you know, if it escalates, I will be there to de-escalate shit. <laughs> But the, the reason why they didn't de-escalate it yet was because she was just so strong. She had like some demon powers and really this is not from the movie. You think I watch a movie? No, the leader, I never forget what he said to me. He was attacked and he said, when I was 11 in England, I was raped. But I was never ever so scared as just now. Like, he had a beard of two meters, like some guru beard from a, from a kung fu movie, you know. <laughs> and yeah, she just put beard, what I heard, and yeah, she, she did a lot of crazy things. Not to me, but to other people, so I heard. And one guy she attacked with the machete and he had like a cut in his face and a cut in his shoulder. And if it was like a few centimeters to the left, he had an eye or he was... Yeah, he didn't have a head anymore, I think. It looks horrible, <laughs> especially when you're on LSD, I can, I can tell. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine that the kind of trip you were having, but well, you managed to somehow de-escalate the conflict, somehow mm. to capture her. <laughs> well, the worst part of the story yeah, is still coming. <laughs> the moment I was putting myself with the group, she turned our back to us and she was walking into the jungle. And you need to see the jungle like only bush. And you have some walking paths going from village to village. So she took that path. And I walked after her with four other people and four like meters, maybe one, maybe two, maybe even 10, I don't know, because I was tripping. <laughs> but it was a long, long walk. And we were all too scared to jump her because we knew we didn't have the power, even though we were with five. But it took so long that we thought, all right, now we need to jump the weapons. Three of you go on the machete, two of you go on the axe. And that was, that was the most exciting time of my life. <laughs> like, nobody wanted to do that, but everybody felt like it, it had to happen because we couldn't just walk, let her walk into a village or something like that. The moment we wanted to jump her in, she stopped. And then we were like, we were stopping as well. And then she sat down. The moment she put down the weapons, we were jumping the weapons and we had the weapons under control. It was quite easy in the end. <laughs> but we walked back to the campsite and there we, we immediately knew that we had to, you know, secure her and people who could mm -hmm. be on the path on that time. So we spoke to ourselves, okay, two people per 20 minutes will sit down next to her and just watch and see whenever she come back to her senses again. So I was with the first group, I walked back 
and I, I saw her again and she suddenly had this shirt off. She was naked. I can sit here for a while and watch. She was very beautiful to watch. <laughs> but I also didn't find it funny what I said to myself. I was like, okay, this is the situation. It was just handling the situation like that. So we sat down and after a while, one of the worst things happened. Four little boys came from the other side of the path. Oh, wow. And with the first boy, she stood up, she grabbed him and all the other boys, they were laughing because they thought this was a joke. <laughs> and the moment the Spanish guy who I was, he was screaming in Spanish, oh, leave him, he, he has nothing to do with it. And on that moment, I saw their, their faces, like changing their faces into very fearful faces. And also those faces I never ever gonna forget. And at that moment, yeah, she didn't hold on anymore. Like his friends were running away. He ran after his friends. The girl ran after the boys and then I was running after her. And yeah, we spoke already a little bit about football and you know how I am. <laughs> and you, you can know how fast I am. <laughs> but they were outrun me. They were outrunning me. Like suddenly the boys went into the jungle from the path. She was chasing them and I was also going. And then she lost the boys because the boys, they knew what they were doing, I guess. They know the way, they know every little bit of, of the jungle. Mm -hmm. They were gone. And then I was chasing her into the jungle. And then she was just too fast for me as well. And then she was gone. And that moment I knew, all right. I was first a little bit scared that she would jump me from the bush. But I also knew, okay, this, I need to go back. I can search for her, but... The chance that I will find her is like 0.0%. <laughs> and then I, that was the first time I got to think. And that was the first time I panicked because everything was just bush. Everything was green. Everything was the same. And I was stripping my balls off. <laughs> and I really didn't know where to go. And then the guy who was with me, he, he lost me. And luckily I heard him scream. But from that mo first moment I heard him scream, it took still like minutes before I came to him because every time I walked into the direction from the sound, the next scream was from the other way around. Because all the sound waves, they bounces from all the leaves and the trees and sound is everywhere. And that was the most surprising experience from the jungle is the sound. Like I expected to see many colorful animals and stuff. But I never ever expected that the sound will be such mm -hmm. melodramatic. And it's like you, day and night, like it's, it's the frogs or it's the apes or it's a screaming, tripping Spanish guy. <laughs> I guess you will manage to escape. I managed luckily, yeah. And then I, we walked to, back to the camp and then, they, then I looked to my feet and then I thought, ah, fuck. <laughs> I just ran after a psycho girl without any shoes through the jungle I, luckily i didn't stepped on the snake or something <laughs> and then we, we were back and then some two guys they they went looking for her at the villages and after an hour they came back with her right at the moment i left the place because of course the party was over after one night and one morning yeah so it was strange to, to leave it because we knew the, si the situation was not good still, but it was under control. So yeah, we left there with a strange feeling. We left there with a lot of time to think. And the way from the place to our hostel, it was like half an hour walk through the jungle. So we had time to think about what happened. And we were just quiet in ourselves. And 
at one point, just before we went at the hostel, it was near the river. It was the most beautiful nature thing I experienced, like a natuurverschijnsel. I don't know the English <laughs> words, like seeing what happens in nature. Mm-hmm. And also it was like, I, I saw the picture of the river. I saw the trees. It was morning. I saw like gold, yellow sky because the sun coming up and mm-hmm. you had the mist, the morning mist. And it was just so beautiful. I never saw it so beautiful. And then I stopped for a moment walking and I look at it and I, and, and I just started crying. I was so emotional, like everything came out and I was like, it, it was good to experience that because it really felt like, all right, you know, life is still fucking good. And yeah. So if you guys are listening, Netflix or any other people, you can connect our podcast, you'll get it through with Yuri. You can you can do a whole series about it. You can do yeah, uh, maybe maybe a documentary movie <laughs> because yeah, this is something. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm thinking to, to to write my stories in a book someday, definitely. Yeah, you should. You should. I mean, at least now you shared it with with our audience, and I think one of the morals of this story is that you shouldn't mix LSD with Aoyaska. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that that's. Uh, I'm very happy and that you point out that. First, first of all, don't do drugs. But, yes. but if you do, but if you do, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, ayahuasca is definitely, I, I, I can talk about ayahuasca for hours also, because I did it two times and I have a very clear opinion about it. There are like two sides, people either are scared of it and they think and talk with pre- presumptions about it. And you have the people who really love it and they lose themselves into it a little bit. Now a little bit in the middle and that was the reason for her to be a demon like that was the day before the party started was doing ayahuasca and the day after on the party they did she did LSD and a lot of ayahuasca shamans they they all say slightly different things about diets and stuff you need to do before and after ayahuasca sessions but I think they would all agree on one thing is don't do LSD one day after ayahuasca or one day before or even a week after. That was definitely the reason for her behavior. Yeah, so it's good that you said that. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, of course, we're not promoting drugs in any way. But yeah, after this crazy story, maybe let's do the final part and ask you a couple of questions about the Netherlands itself and in particular the expat community. So you're one of those people who not only friendly to the foreign people, but you also spend some time, you also also hang out with them, you have a lot of friends from different countries. So can you tell, just in general, what is your experience being with the expats here and how it is different from the, let's say, average Dutch person? Yeah, that's a good question. I think my experience, it's like what I just told you before, like, uh, I think expats, they are a little bit, they think or act a little bit like me. So I really feel like at home to spend time with foreign people, sometimes even more with my Dutch friends. <laughs> so yeah, it's just a way of being, the way of thinking why I like it that much. And I had the luck to work at IHS mm-hmm. where I got to meet a lot of expats. That's where we studied. Otherwise, I wouldn't be so much into expats. I've got some friends with some international girlfriends, like Mexicans and stuff and Canadians. So I always have a good relationship with them. Yeah, like 
people who travel and uh, being at work in another other country, they they're so much more open to others. Like a lot of Dutch people here, and it's not that they don't want to be friends with experts, but I see I experience here the same as with my travelings. If you are a group of locals, a friend group, you tend to get into into contact with experts way less. And if they do, you see that a lot of people still speak Dutch and it goes all automatically. And it's only when you have a girlfriend in your friend group that you try to correct each other, like try to speak English, otherwise you won't understand it. So yeah, my experience is basically, it's average. It's the same as what I experienced in foreign countries. Like either they are close to you, like Dutch people to express, or they're very keen to get to know each other. Like in general it is, if you are, if I go backpacking or backpacking or whatever kind of traveling, I always feel very much enthusiastic mm-hmm. to my person by the local people. Mm-hmm. They always want to know where you're from. They're, I think in general, Dutch people can be open very much, even though sometimes it doesn't look like that. Mm-hmm. And that does also count the other way around. And before all these international experiences, your opinion about that was the same? Or this traveling changed your mind? Let, how let's you... say it like that. The biggest life lessons I learned about traveling is to be open or to socialize. Mm-hmm. I think what you just said before, uh, it's, it's a little bit about being outside of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Like with the bikepacking stuff, it does also count for traveling. You bring yourself into a position where you just need to make friends, you know? Mm-hmm. And even if it's a hard thing for you to do, then there will always be people who will come to you. Mm-hmm. And that's what I prefer about traveling alone because in my internship of my time in South Africa with my girlfriend, I got to uh, know so many less people than all my other uh, expat trips. Mm-hmm. So if you are with a group or with a girlfriend, you have that feeling less that you need to. You need to make friends or you need to do something to get friends, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And now you can also relate to expats who are coming here mm-hmm. who also don't know that many people and also just need to find someone to be friends with the same way as when you would go to Peru or Indonesia, you would also need to yeah. find someone yeah. to communicate with, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like, I don't know, maybe just some policies, I don't know, governmental policies or just people's attitudes towards newcomers, do you think uh, it's changing and if, if it is and what direction is going right now? The policy of, of the government or something like Both, like the policies of the government and also the attitudes of the society itself. Yeah, I think from a government perspective, I don't know if it's changing, but what I do know is that our government likes to be very safe and secure, so they will bring more policy and it, they make it harder for people to come here, I guess. But maybe it's also, you know, to get the right-minded people or something like that. Maybe it's just um, a, strat- a strategic way. Mm-hmm. Because I needed to do a lot of practical stuff for scholarships from all around the world. And I was bound by a lot of kind of rules, you know. Like, I need to fix a lot of stuff for them. Like, give them plane tickets mm-hmm. by our government, for example. 
But there were so many rules on the plane ticket, you know, they needed to leave the country after they finished the master day, the course within three days because the government was basically scared that they will stay here. And of course, from both sides, I get it, you know, I get it that you want to stay here. I feel like very lucky to be a Schengen boy. <laughs> Schengen that, that, boy. That, <laughs> yeah. I really think if I will go grow up, if I would have, like, this is my tip to all people who are not, not Western. One is first learn to speak English. And then second is try to get yourself a wife or a husband from the Schengen country. Because I really think we are biased. We are very lucky if you compare it to other citizens around the world. Yeah, and it's, it's really cool that you can acknowledge it. Because I think not that many people uh, even realize yeah. no. um, the privilege they have. No, the privilege. That was the word I was looking for, yeah. But some people will never know. Because some people will just stay where they grow up. And they will never have life-changing perspectives. Mm -hmm. I think life-changing perspectives, that's the most worthy thing I get from my travelings. Yeah. Like you get this, you know yourself better because you will also with the, the thing of finding friends, the good thing and the bad thing is also that there will be a chance that you will find a friend or try to be a friend with somebody you actually don't like. Because if, if you're talking about your home countries, if you're talking about life, then you automatically learn that there are some things you don't agree with, even with all the travelers. So in that way, you get to know yourself better and you can change your perspective. Yeah, for sure. On this philosophical note, let's wrap up our episode. <laughs> shoot it, shoot yeah, it. yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think I've heard so many fascinating, intriguing stories. And I think maybe the kind of a summary of our conversation is that be open to the world around you. Explore the world, leave your comfort zone, if you even have any. And great, great things will happen to you. Yeah, you and, and try to do that before you make your big life decisions. Like... If you find a good job, you tend to stick with it. And if you find a girl which you marry, the chance of traveling and learn about yourself is less. So if you can at least do one kind of expert's way or of uh, traveling before you have those big life-changing stuff, I would definitely recommend it. I, I will do it with my child. Like if I get children, I would say first you go away and then you choose your study. Because mm -hmm. that's why I am 32 and still doing my fucking bachelor's because I made some wrong choices. Yeah, <laughs> but but yeah. That's all. I, everybody has a different journey. And sure. Yeah, it's a long life journey, and at least maybe you think now that some choices were wrong, but at least you realize that and you still have plenty of time to change what's our way of doing our uh, way of thinking yeah yeah it's all about your attitudes it's all about yeah. what's in people your head. who never change i don't know if you can trust them oh yeah absolutely because i really do think people who never change they will lie to themselves like everybody lies to themselves everybody with an ego lies to themselves at least one time in their life but there are some people who does it a lot more you know and it's just yeah it's a fucking battle between fear and there you know <laughs> because <laughs> all our fucked up choices comes out of fear wow i think so. <laughs> yeah that's also right. of course also about dairy of course but then at least you you learn something you know if you dare and it seems out to be the wrong change you learn about it wow yeah, there are so many things to process <laughs> so we will leave you guys with that
I hope you enjoyed this episode and many thanks for our yeah, guests. Thank you. thank you so much, yeah, Yuri, for, for coming, for sharing. You are super welcome, guys. Fascinating yeah. stories. It was super fun. Yes. And I want to thank you, of course, for having me. And of course, for everybody who listened. And thank you for listening. And I hope you all learned something about uh, yeah. my experiences. Graag gedaan. Yeah, fijne dag toch. Alsjeblieft. Jullie ook. Doei doei.